If it's your first time here at Mission Ebenezer, you're going to find out that we're a loud bunch. And, uh, and, and I'm the, I'm, I'm the, I'm the, the lead, lead orchestrator of all, that, uh, of all that loudness. But it's a joyful noise because I'm alive. It's a joyful noise because God has given me another chance today. He could, he could have not let me wake up today. He could have not let you wake up today. But he chose to give you another day of life. He chose to give us another day of life. And for, for us who are believers, followers of Jesus Christ, we thank him every day for the life that he gives us, for the breath in our lungs. And, and today, as we, we grow in the word of God together, he's going to increase our faith. Today, as we grow in the word of God together, I pray that the study in Genesis chapter 33, will bring us to a deeper and uh, a deeper understanding of what it means to be present today. What it means to be present and to make every day a masterpiece. And not waste a day, not waste an hour, to not waste a minute, but to allow our faith in Jesus Christ and the Word of God to change the way we think, to change the way we believe, to change the way we act. Because that is where our faith has to impact each believer. If we only receive knowledge and sit on knowledge, then we are not putting it to work for the kingdom. But when you receive knowledge and revelation from the Most High, then you you put that knowledge into motion. You put that knowledge into action, and now you start to do some damage for the Lord. You start putting that into action. You start moving it, and you start moving it in the direction that God wants to take us. So we're going we're gonna to talk about what that means for us today. Some of us are stagnant. Some of us have, have reached a plateau. Some of us have not activated our faith muscles recently or at all. Some of us are sometimes so focused on the future that we've lost sight on what God is trying to do right now. So the Lord's going to walk us through Genesis 33, through the life of Jacob. Somebody say Jacob. Yaakov, he's going to walk us through the, the life of Jacob, this chapter of his life, this chapter of the book of Genesis, and God's going to teach us about this chapter that we're in right now, that you're in right now. You're in a chapter in life, aren't you? I'm in chapter 44. I'm 44 years old. I'm in chapter 44. And we're going to go around the sanctuary. You're going to say what chapter you're in. No, I'm kidding. Uh, why is it all the sisters all the time? Yeah, you know, I'm chapter 21 for the 25th time. Okay. Okay, let's go to Genesis 33. Genesis 33. And, um, you know, I, I always like to do this. This is, this is my, kind, my style. I like to involve us in reading the Word of God. So if we have any volunteers, we can break up these 20 verses. There's not that many. Maybe four people read five verses apiece. Brother Love, Sister Stephanie, Brother Harvey, 
and Sister Viv. Come on up, y'all. Come on up. Let's give our volunteers a great big round of applause. You'll see that our Bible studies and our service times here are very interactive. I believe the body of Christ should be participating in the Word of God. It's when we participate in the Word of God and we, we apply the Word of God that we learn object lessons. And the object lessons, like in chemistry, were most helpful for me because I was terrible at chemistry. So when Miss Fattenduced at Carson High School saw that her class was was mostly all failing, she says, we need to get them to start teaching themselves. We need to get them to start learning this material together. And so she started to have us learn together in groups and teach ourselves. And the, most of the class went from D's to A's within a semester. And so I've always learned that the best way for us to learn the Word of God is to participate in the Word of God. And that means by reading it and receiving it. Amen. So who, whoever's first, come on up. And you're going to read verses 1 through 5, the first person. This is Brother Love. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, family. Amen. Amen. This is chapter 1. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, Esau came, and with him 400 men. And he divided the children unto Leah, and unto Rachel, and unto the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Verse 5. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are those with thee? And he said, The children which God has graciously given thy servant. Amen. Good evening, church. Got to lower it a little bit short. Then the maidservants came near, and they, they and their children, and bowed down. And Leah also bowed down. Oh, I'm sorry. And Leah also came near with her children, and they bowed down. Afterwards, Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. Then Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which I met? And he said, These are to find favor in the sight of the Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, No, please. If I have now found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand, and as much as I have seen your face, as though I had seen the face of God, and you were pleased with me. Amen. Glory to God. So I'm going to be reading, um, starting from uh, chapter 33, verse 11, New King James Version. And the word of the Lord says, Please take my blessing that is bought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. So he urged him, and he took it. And then Esau said, Let us take our journey. Let us go, and I will go before you. But Jacob said to him, 
my Lord, knows that the children are weak and the flocks and herds which are nursing are with me. And if the men should drive them hard one day, all the flock will die. Please let my Lord go on ahead before his servant. I will lead on slowly at a pace with the livestock that go before me. And the children are able to endure. And I come to my Lord and sire. And Esau said, now let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the side of my Lord. Amen. So Esau turned around and started back to Seir that same day. Jacob, on the other hand, traveled on to Succoth. There he built himself a house and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place was named Succoth which means shelters. Later, having traveled all the way from Pad Haram, Jacob arrived safely at the town of Shechem in the land of Canaan. There he set up camp outside the town, and Jacob bought the plot of land where he camped from the family of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver. And there he built an altar and named it Ihaloi Israel. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for those who helped to read and participated in the, read the word of God. Lord, I pray that you would open our minds, that you would open our hearts and our spiritual eyes, that we might see beautiful things in your law today. Father, I pray that in this story of Jacob, that we could uh, take a page out of this chapter of his life and apply it to ours as believers so that we can grow in the word of God and the word of God will become bread to, and nourishment to our body, nourishment into our bones, Father God, and that we would be healthy spiritually and that we would be strong and that we would be full of faith. We pray this in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. So what I want to do is I want to remind us about this story between these two brothers. And this story in chapter 33 is about which two brothers? Jacob and Esau. Esau or Jacob. They were twin brothers. However, they were fraternal twin brothers. They were not identical. They were very different. Jacob was um, more fine, had more fine hair, less hair on his body. Um, doesn't say what color his hair was, but he was kind of a city slicker. He was a refined gentleman. The Bible says that he was a man of the tents, which means when he was raised, he spent a lot of time with his mother back at the camp, whereas Esau was a man of the field. Uh, he was a wild man. He was a big, burly man. Bible Bible says Esau or Edom means red, okay, and he was very, very hairy, all right, um, and he was a man of the field. He would be the one to go and, and to to kill the, the, the food that they need, and he would bring back the meat. And then Jacob and his mother, they would go and they would cook all of these things. And their father Isaac, um, um, we read in the, in the, the stories in Scripture how, how Isaac um, had blessed Jacob over Esau. 
And then Esau went and he stole the birthright from, from Esau over a bowl of stew. How many of you remember that story? And so before Esau could get his hands on his brother, who had duped him out of the, the birthright and the inheritance, Jacob flees. He leaves the land of Haran. Everybody say Haran. He leaves the land of Haran where his father Abraham had established um, kind of uh, his grandfather Abraham had established that land and that territory in the land of Canaan. Several, several, several months ago, we had, we had learned that lesson that that was the first time that Abraham had actually purchased a property, a plot of land, and that was to bury his wife Sarah. How many of you remember that? Near the tree of Mamre. He purchased that land, and that was the beginning of the fulfillment that God was going to give him that land. So now he had a foothold in the land of Canaan. And so here we are, three generations later, all right, Jacob is now getting ready to extend the cords of his tent, so to speak. Jacob now is moving into a new chapter of life. You guys have all studied from Pastor Joe, Pastor Manuel, Pastor T over the last couple of months while I was out. This is my first time teaching on Wednesday nights since I've returned from sabbatical, and it feels good to be back on the saddle. Praise the Lord. My head's just a little shinier. But the beautiful thing about following and tracing where we've come in the scriptures is that we can pick up the story where these wonderful pastors and leaders have led us in a journey of understanding and learning, expository teaching or practical application or messages of faith, messages of hope, messages of practical application and practical theology where we take the word of God, apply it to our lives. Well, today, one of the things I want us to see is to be reminded, first of all, as to the conflict that Jacob and Esau were in. When Jacob fled from his mother and father and his brother Esau, he knew that his brother Esau wanted to kill him. He saw red. Esau saw red. And he saw red because his brother deceived him. Jacob deceived him. Jacob basically stole everything, although, although Esau had given him the inheritance because he was, the Bible says he was famished. He says, don't oh, just give me some of that stew that you're making. And Jacob says, well, give me the inheritance. He said, what? Give it, I'll give it to me. He said, fine, go ahead. It's all yours. He did, in other words, Esau despised everything that belonged to him, that God had given to him. And did not treat it properly. And Jacob saw that and knew that and he pounced on it. So he began to concoct a plan with his mother, Rachel. Who said, hey, you know, your father can't see very good. You could probably slide on right on in there and fool him. Let him know that you're, you're Esau. <clears throat> Deepen your voice a little bit. Put some hair from the skin of a goat on your arm and go put on some of his clothes. Go out there in the field, come back, and he'll think that you're Esau. And you can trick him and take the whole birthright. See, it wasn't right that Rachel was showing favoritism here. She was being conniving, very deceptive. And, and that's enough to, to create a tremendous family division, isn't it? That's enough to, to create 
family discord and a family break that can never be reparable. That's enough for a son to see what his mom has done with his brother and to hate him for the rest of his life. That is where we are. That's where we are in the conflict. However, Jacob always knew in his heart that he wanted to reconcile with his brother. Jacob always knew in his heart that he needed to make things right with his brother. Jacob always knew that what he did to his brother Esau was wrong. And he had to come to a place of repentance. Repentance means that we recognize the wrong that we have done and we turn from what we did and we go and make things right. But you know what? Sometimes people are not ready for you to make things right on your time. No matter how much you desire, no matter how clearly now you see the situation when you look back, and see you're wrong or you see the whole situation and you're ready to make things right. You're ready to restore things. You're ready to reconcile things. But the person that you are at ought with, the person that you, are, that you have become separated from, the person that, that hates you and does not forgive you is not ready to receive you or what you have to say yet or maybe ever. Because there are some things that are out of our control. After Jacob did what he did, he was no longer in a position to go and make things right or to mend the situation. So now the, the, the situation and the thing was further out of his control than he even realized. That's enough also to create a kind of sadness and a depression even in the person of Jacob who now is realizing and seeing everything that he did, knowing the wrong that he, that he caused his brother. His brother gave him the, the inheritance, but he stole the birthright from him. So it was kind of a mixed bag. Jacob didn't take still everything outright from him. Esau also played into the situation. Nonetheless, over the last several weeks, we have studied how Jacob went on into his life, ventured off onto his own, worked for Laban, his uncle. Everybody say Laban. First, he wanted to marry Rachel, but Laban tricked him. So he got a little bit of back of what he deserved. And the father married, caused him to marry Leah. He worked for the father for how many, how many years? How many years? Seven years. And he says, I'll give you, Rachel, if you work for me for another. So 14, everybody say 14. 14, that's what you call a fortnight. Uh, I knew you were going to look up. A fortnight is 14 days or two weeks. So a fortnight, so you got 14 years that Jacob had to serve and work off this, this ability to marry Laban's two daughters, who both ended up giving him children. And while he's in this process, he's drawing closer to the Lord. He's building his relationship with the Father. And as he's building his relationship with the Father, the Lord begins to drop wisdom on him and teach him how to increase his flock. 
He starts to drop wisdom on him and starts to teach him how to become prosperous. He teaches him how to line up the goats and the sheep near the water so that the speckled ones would, would mate because he worked out a deal with Laban. And he says, if, if, if you give me these, I'll continue to work for you. And just as long as you let me just have the spotted ones and you can keep all the rest of them. And that way we can tell which one belonged to me and which ones belong to you. But God had showed Jacob and given him wisdom. He was a, he was a sly brother. He was wise. He was shrewd. And then he knew how to allow the, his, his herds and his flocks to mate, to multiply more rapidly than Laban's. And all of a sudden Laban says, oh my gosh, this guy is getting rich off of me. He's got to go. How many of you remember that part in the scriptures? He's like, this, this brother's got to go. This guy is eating me out of house and home. He already has my two daughters. Now it's time for him to go. Take my grandkids and go. I love you, but you are making me poorer by the day. And that is not good business. So Jacob says, fine, it's time for me to go. So he was in the middle. He was right in the process of a chapter or a stage in his life. And this is what I want to talk about tonight. Tonight I want to call this message next chapter. Okay, if you have notes, you're writing it down, you got a, a phone in your notepad, just write next chapter. Some of us, we are in such difficult situations that we just can't wait for the next chapter. Raise your hand if you're, if you're like that sometimes. Don't, you don't have to put yourself on blast too much. But some of us, we just can't wait to get out of the chapter or can't wait to get out of the place that we're at right now to just move on to the next chapter. Some of us just want to just leave everything, just lock it up, throw away the key, and just peace out. And we know that that is not an option according to God's will for our lives. Sometimes we're, we're so tempted to just flee, to just get up and go and leave all of our problems behind. Leave that relationship. Leave that marriage. Leave this. Leave that. Oh, leave that financial situation. Oh, I'm, I'm bankrupt. Oh, I just want to start over. I just want to. I'm moving to Mexico. I got too much debt to, to, to worry about. I'm, I'm swimming in debt. I can't sleep. I'm a nervous wreck. I'm anxious. I'm, I got all these situations. We just want to move on to the next chapter. Jacob knew the situation with his brother. He knew he was leaving the chapter of his life where he worked and lived with Laban. And it was true. He was getting rich off the fat of the land under Laban's umbrella. Jacob couldn't rightly claimed that he had become wealthy on his own. So it was time for him to branch off. It was time for him to go off on his own and to start figuring some things out. And that's a good thing. So he's about to move into a new chapter of his life. And as he was preparing to leave this new chapter, see, because he had left from Haran, then he had moved all the way up to be with where Laban and his family were up in the north. And then as he's making his way back down towards Canaan, he says, you know what? I'm going to make a great attempt at this point in my life 
to make amends with my brother. So he sends out a posse to go ahead of him and to let his brother know that he is on his way as he's making his way down through the desert. The Bible says he, he starts, he's, he breaks up his, his camp into four sections. First it was Jacob and his men. Then it was his maidservants and their children. Then it was Leah and her children. And then it was Rachel and Joseph. So he broke these, his camp into four groups, strategizing, intentionally planning for the worst, but hoping for the Planning for the worst, but hoping for the best. And so he knows that what he did to Esau was so ratchet, so wrong, that if he saw his brother and his brother still chose to kill him, he could just eliminate him, obliterate him, kill all the women and children, and just wipe off Jacob from the place of the earth. But Jacob, at this point now, is ready to take a step of faith. Somebody say step of faith. He's getting ready to take a step of faith, you guys. And he's getting ready to test the waters, so to speak, to see what Esau was going to do when he sent his messengers out ahead to test it out. And the Bible says in the reading that we just had that 400 men came with Esau. Now, I don't know about you. But if you hear about a person coming with 400 men, probably on, on horses or camels, and it was all men, you're pretty much thinking he's coming for war. He's coming for war. And this is what I want us to understand about Jacob. We learn from the mistakes that he made. We also need to learn from the good that he did, the wise things that he did. You see, while he was praying and hoping to have this opportunity to move into this next chapter of his life of reconciliation and restoration with his brother, hopefully, prayerfully, and full of faith, he wasn't so focused on what was way up ahead in the future that he could not focus on living in the present. If he was so wrapped up in being anxious, in worrying about what Esau was thinking, what Esau was doing, what they didn't have, and, and, and spoiling Jacob's present life with his wife's wives, those yeah, ancient Near East different traditions back then. With his wives and his children and everything else, Jacob would not have become the prosperous man that he was. Sometimes when things are on hold, sometimes you're not ready for the next chapter of your life. And when you're not ready for that next chapter, he's going to keep you there at the place that you're at because guess what? You can't get to the next chapter until you write the next page. You can't get to, I can't get to chapter 45, you guys, if I don't focus on the days that God has in my life writing what I'm supposed to be doing today. 
what I'm supposed to be focused on doing tomorrow. We can't be so focused on what's going on out there all the time and be people of vision and and so future focused that we can't be present even in the relationships and even in the things, the gifts, the opportunities, because you're going to miss the opportunities that God's bringing across your path. I'm going to be missing all the great opportunities if I'm still dwelling on my past and dwelling on my past mistakes, if I'm condemning myself, if I'm wasting myself away. I knew a man who died of a broken heart because of a family split over money. We loved him. He died of a broken heart and he stopped eating because he was so focused on what had happened in the past and did not have the resources, the skills, the tools, or the faith in Jesus Christ and the power by the blood of Jesus and the word of God to see that he still needed to live in the present, hoping for a greater future. You can't get to the next chapter until you finish the chapter that you're in now. You can't short-circuit it. You can't uproot and go. God doesn't want us to be the kind of people that just bail when when times get tough. Board up the house, hit the highway. We'll we'll come back when the storm is over. I mean, that's, that's, that's good practical wisdom, especially if you live in Tampa Bay, Florida, like my brother and his family. But real life, real situations, marriages, families, and friends, dealing with financial issues, some of the the hardest, the heaviest, the most difficult things are dealing with finances. Can I hear an amen? When dealing with finances, we just want to drop everything and just like, ah! But that's when we have to say, okay, Let me be present. Let me stop fantasizing about the future. Although God's going to get me through today and bring me into that tomorrow, I have to figure out, with God's help, what he has for me today. What do I need to learn? How am I going to grow? And that's what was going on in the life of Jacob. Um. I'll tell this quick little illustration, and then we're gonna we're gonna take our collect our tithes and offerings. We're gonna take our little seventh inning stretch, as Pastor Joe calls it. But um, this past summer, right before I went we went on our sabbatical, I went and made a optometry appointment with at Kaiser. We're with Kaiser right now, and and um, I needed to upgrade my the strength of my contact lenses or my corrective lenses because I'm nearsighted. Do you know what nearsighted is? Nearsighted means that um, I could see everything really close up until about right here, perfectly fine, 100%. But anything beyond two feet, I can't see. You're all blurry. You're all just like blurred faces in the audience. You're like a a video game right now, the background audience at a a sports video game. Okay, now I can see all your beautiful faces. Praise God, a lot better. And the doctor had said, you know, um, Mr. Canales, he said, you're, you're over 40 now. And I'm like, yeah, I'm over 40. I'm young, man. 
invincible. Like, you know, the stronger your corrective lens becomes so that you can see the way you want to see with, with your glasses or your contacts in, because I'm a former athlete. I'm a former athlete. I like to see things crystal clear. So my, the contact lenses I feel most comfortable with or my corrective glasses actually allow me to see either 2015 or 2010. Because whenever I'm at 2020, I go out, I'm like, man, it's blurry. I can't even see the sign a mile away. I want to see clear like an eagle. So he says, well, the stronger your lens and your prescription is far away, the less ability you're going to have with your glasses or your contacts to see anything close. Which is why you start seeing me now. You can, I'm, I'm aging myself because when I have my, my glasses on and I get up to here like this, it starts getting blurry. Then I got to take it off and read it without it, and I'm good. So the doctor says, when you put your contact lenses in, you're going to need to go to the CVS store and buy some magnifying reading glasses. So I went to CVS yesterday to get some. And those suckers were 30 bucks. Reading glasses were 30 bucks. And I'm trying like plus ones. I'm trying plus 1.5. I'm trying plus twos. And I've turned around. I look at it, man. I look like I thought I was looking through the bottle of uh, through the bottom of a, a Coke bottle, man. I was like, holy smokes. Well, what do I look like? I looked in the mirror. My eyes were like that big. I'm like, I like one of those cat emojis. And uh, I was like, man, that's no bueno. But the illustration in all this is this. With my, with my glasses on, I could see far, but up close, I'm no good. When we're so focused on what is ahead, it brings anxiety. It brings fear. Sometimes the thought of, 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 of something is worse than the thing itself. The fear of something is worse than the thing itself. Because we're so focused on looking out there, it becomes too big, it becomes overwhelming. And we can't operate, can't function. We become paralyzed. We become paralyzed. But what is God showing us tonight? What's God showing us through Jacob? Even though you have hope for a greater future, even though we have hopes of God doing some wonderful and mighty, tremendous things, or even bailing us out of the situation and getting us through this this very difficult time that we're in now, guess what, people of God? He wants us to be present in the now. Present in the now so we don't miss what's right in front of us. The goodness of the day, the smells of the day, the noises, the sounds of the day. My sons, Ah, smell like football. My daughter. Ah, smell like Lolita. Like mama. And we're present. And we say, okay, God, I see what you're doing. Yes, you are going to bring me there. I can see it. But I need to be present here and now. I need to see what, what you want to do with me right now so I can learn this lesson that I need to, go, to finish this chapter, to move into the next one. God won't bring us into the next thing that he has for us until we've learned all of the things that he needs us to learn now. Jacob is a very good example of someone who by faith understood that regardless 
of the mistakes that he made in his past, he had to be present and to live in the future while God worked on him and worked in his heart and worked in his life. And the same could be said about Esau. If Esau had not allowed God to do the, the hard, difficult work in his heart and in his life, he would not have been at the place to receive Jacob and his whole family and their whole camp at that point in their lives to move into this, their next chapter together. So those, thus far, we've seen here in the life of Jacob that he's gone through a lot. Esau has gone through a lot. He's suffered a lot of loss. And these brothers went their separate ways. Even in the life of believers, sometimes we go separate ways with people that we love, that we know, don't we? We never lose hope. We never give up on the ability for God to restore, for God to reconcile, and for God to make things new again. One of the things I love about Jacob and Esau both is that they never gave up on each other and the thought of being reunited. Jacob could have become angry with God, thinking that his relationship with Esau would never be restored. We in the church sometimes can get angry with God. We can get angry with the idea of the institution of church because of the way things turn out or because of the way things happen. And when we get into that place, we get into a funk, and it's really hard to get out of that funk. It's really easy for us to, to, to go down a road, a, t a tempting road of, of, of giving up on the idea of God restoring the things that we desire in our hearts for God to restore. For God to heal the things in our lives or in our hearts that are not well and are sick. Why won't you take this thing away? Why won't you make things better, God? God said, because I'm still working on you and you're not paying attention. You're not letting me in. You're not letting me do the things that I need to do in your life. But we need to understand that as we pray and as we believe and as we travail in the faith and in prayer and through life, Focusing on this chapter that we're currently in and writing the pages of this current chapter as God prepares us for the next chapter. He can't take us to the next chapter until we focus on what he has for us now. All the while, we don't realize that God's been busy mending all along. God's been busy healing hearts and lives and families all the while. You just can't see it yet. We just can't feel it yet because we can't experience it yet. But if you continue to walk in faith, and if you continue to walk with your focus on Jesus, and you don't allow the enemy to come in and, 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 and rally up bitterness, you don't allow the enemy to come in and, and, and rile you up and bring sentiment of anger and resentment and all these things again, 
We have to give all of those things over to the Lord. Can I hear an amen? Because if you don't give all those things over to the Lord, then you ain't healing. And you're not allowing God to do the healing process that we need. And whatever the case may be, God heals us in so many different ways. He can heal you in an instant if he wanted to. But most of the time he chooses not to. Because there's too much to be learned in the middle of a, of a, of a, of a humbling process. There's too much to learn in the middle of brokenness. There's too much to learn in the middle of, of, of heartache. There's too much to learn, too much to be learned for the believer. If the believer's heart is truly in the place that God can, where God can work, then there's too much to be missed for God to not want to just stay. We're going to stay right there just a little while longer. Yes, yes. Oh, yes, you've been praying more. Oh, yes, I, I've been seeing how you've been trusting me more and allowing, putting things in my hands more. Yes, yes, but we're not done yet. Let's keep going. Oh, I love how merciful and full of grace you're becoming. Before, oh, you were just so hard, just so judgmental, so legalistic, so unforgiving, so merciless. I just love where you're at right now. We're going to keep working a little bit. Going to keep working. Going to keep working. Oh, yeah. I'm almost there. Put a little toothpick in it right there. Almost done. He lets us just sit right there. And yeah, it sucks. It sucked to be Jacob for a while. It sucked to be Esau for a while. It was it was hard. It was terrible, difficult. You ever gone through anything like that? Any of us? Anybody here ever gone through anything like that? Good. That means we're all in it together. You ever been through something? You say, I don't wish this on my worst enemy. That's when you know God's working in your heart. That's when you know that God is he's getting you to the, to the end of humility and you're, you're almost at the why. Humility. Almost got him, almost got, almost got her to the why part. Let him work. Be present. Cry. Go to godly Christian counseling. Talk to godly people. Write in your journal. Go for long walks. Talk to God. Converse with God. Argue with God. Grow in your faith. Grow your own faith. Be present in the now and write the pages of this chapter that you're in. We're all in it together. We're all growing. We start getting closer to that next chapter. He starts feeling a lot better. And then he starts getting ready for the next one. Somebody say, oh, no. All the while, 
God was busy blessing Jacob and Esau. God's busy blessing because he's in the blessing building. He's in the blessing business. I don't want him to bless that person. They wronged me. Oh, he's going to bless them anyway just because. Just because you thought that. Just because you said that. I hope they fail. God's going to bless you, and God's going to bless you. You all right with that? Oh, good, and that means you're okay with God being God. Somebody say amen. Though he slay me, I will trust him. Job chapter 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, I will trust him. Though we go through trials and tribulations, yet will I trust him. Thank him for the hardships. Thank him for the loss. Thank him for the sickness. If it was easy, everybody would do it. God has you right just where he wants you. He's working even when we can't see him. And that's the life of the believer. Amen. I had a whole bunch of other really cool historical stuff about Sukkot and Shechem and all these wonderful geographical locations. We'll save that for next time. I think what God wanted us to see with our spiritual eyes tonight is that he can't bring you into the next chapter of your life till you realize and learn how to be still and know that he is God. Psalm 4610. Be still and know that he's God. Be still and learn to become. Be still and learn who you are. You don't have to keep chasing everything. You slow down a little bit and learn about who you are in Christ, how he made you, how he fashioned you, and be thankful. Not looking back, dwelling on the past, being present in the now. That's where he has us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jacob. We thank you for Esau. Thank you for this rich story of restoration. Two brothers who came back together. I'm sure we would have all loved to hear that they lived in the same land and the same territories and shared everything like they did once before. But you built their camps. You built their properties. You built their possessions. You built their families. You built their them as a people but you brought that you restored the joy scripture says that when Jacob came to Esau he fell prostrate seven times which is the number of perfection and completion which is the fullness of humility and the lesson that he learned it shows us that Jacob learned his lesson and was different after that 
And then we see that Esau ran to him, his brother who wronged him many years before and could not wait to put his arms around his brother and hug him. He said, come on, let's go together. Let's ride. Let's ride into the sunset together. Oh, let's start talking and dreaming of all the things that we're going to do together. Jacob says, brother, it's all good. Let's just take this one step at a time. Thank you for receiving me, your servant, and you, my master. I don't know where each person is in their lives tonight, Lord. Maybe some are right in the middle of a chapter. Maybe they're at the beginning of a new chapter. Maybe they're at the end of a chapter. Maybe we wouldn't even know where we're at, and that's cool too. The most important thing is that we grow with you, and we stay focused on who you are and what our faith means to us, not because of what you do for us, but simply because of who you are. So, Lord Jesus, forgive us for our sins and help us, Lord, to make things right in our hearts that need to be made right and help us to wake up tomorrow with a little pep in our step, thankful that you've given us a new day. We pray this in Jesus' name and the people of God said, amen. God bless you, church. You're dismissed. Hey, we'll see you on Sunday. We love you.